We play for bravery. We play for big hearts in tiny bodies. We play for the fighter within. We play for life reclaimed, disease in remission, stories rewritten. We're Children's Hospital of Richmond at VCU, and we nurture the champion in every child. We fight the forces that threaten them, and we play to win. Learn how at chrichmond.org. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Fear It Goes. This episode is going to run longer than the normal 30 minutes, but we will get back on schedule and back on target after this episode. So I hope you enjoy Tom Berendrack. Welcome to Fear It Goes, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway. I'm your host, Brandi Taylor. Hi, Tom. Welcome back to Fear It Goes. I'm so excited to hear all about the latest and greatest that is a part of your life. Um, so let's just jump right in. What's been new in Tom's world? First of all, thank you for having me. Um, well, let's see. I think last time we spoke, we uh, um, I was in the U.S. about to, I think, do my tryouts um, right. for you know the next season after you know being sick for a while after being sick for a year and then recovering for a year. I was about to go into my tryouts and. Um, I did, and I did pretty well. I sent in the North American Hockey League with the Minnesota Magicians, which is the second junior level in the, in the U.S. So I awesome. signed there, then um, went back to Europe, uh, had a little fun over the summer, then came back to the United States, and uh, well, started off with the Minnesota Magicians in, uh, in Minneapolis, which was a pretty cool experience. We went to do a development camp. And uh, at a development camp, they usually have more players than are actually going to be on the roster in the end. Right. Um, so we had about, I think, like 35 players there. And we're going to cut down to, I think, roster 22. So there were still some players that had to be cut. Um, we had about four goalies there. There's only two goalies gonna be, are going to be there. So two had to go at some point. Um, then during the development camp, fortunately, uh, one of my buddies, he... I think he did something to his knee. I'm not sure what he did, but he was out for quite some time. And then um, I, well, kind of, it's not, I didn't break a finger. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it wasn't good. I got a, a puck on my finger. So I could still like, kind of practice, but um, it wasn't very comfortable. I couldn't barely pass a puck, which is kind of, so if you're the goalie, it's less important, but it's still nice to have, be able to pass a puck. So right. I couldn't really block it. So I was kind of half injured. Um, so then I think they called up one or two other guys from, uh, the USHL, which is the league above the North American hockey league's league. I was originally going to sign in about two years ago. Right. Um, cause they are also doing development camps. So they were basically sending people down to the North American league. And then underneath that league, there's the North American three league. Um, so, um, it was kind of a interesting situation cause we, all didn't really know what was going to happen. And I sat down with the coach at that time and I was like, you know, what's, what's the plan here? And 
I couldn't really tell exactly what was going to happen. So nobody was really sure. And I didn't know if I was actually going to be able to play there. So um, I got the opportunity to go to Sioux Falls, which is in South Dakota, which is not the, the greatest town on earth. But uh, they did have a USHL team. So that was the league. That you were in. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a league up. So and I was originally drafted by them when I was like 15 or 14 years old. So I knew them. I knew the coaching staff and stuff like that. So they asked me if I wanted to come out and train with them for a week. So I was like, sure. So went there. I celebrated my 19th birthday or no 20th birthday in um, in uh, in uh, in Sioux Falls. So that was interesting because I had to drive there on my birthday. Was there for a week. But I was kind of going to be like the third-ish goalie there, maybe get some playing time. So I wasn't quite that happy to to be there. It was a cool experience, but it didn't really work out for me the way I hoped it was going to. So went back to Minnesota and then I think literally like two days later or something on a Saturday, I get a call from uh, Garrett Suter, who is the, the coach uh, for the Madison Capitals, who are the USHL team I was originally uh gonna play with right. two years ago or when i got sick so that was kind of a unique situation and he called me he was like hey um our number one goalie is injured I'm like i'm not sure what exactly he had it's something with his knee too i think i'm not sure but um so he's like can you come down to uh green bay tonight which is like eastern wisconsin like past madison and come to our game so i'm like Okay, so I had about that's like a five hour drive, and I had like I don't know, like six and a half hours left until the game was so, so not much time, a little bit tight. No, yeah, a little bit tight. And then I figured out too, I was uh staying uh or staying at my girlfriend's house, so and I then literally left the house so I could go. I had my stuff in the car and whatever, uh, or I was at their at her house, but then I was like, okay, let me grab my car and then I can go there and whatever. And then I figured in my car, uh had been towed that night so my car was gone so that was that was just the worst timing ever um so luckily my girlfriend was like okay i'll drive you there so so it's kind of her like car. the universe was conspiring against you but somehow i know made it work anyway i i know made it work luckily my my, my like my hockey gear wasn't in the car so that would have been a big problem disastrous but yeah it would have been disastrous but that was not the case so drove down in green bay um had the experience there with uh with the ushl madison team and then obviously their first goal was injured well it wasn't going to be over within a week so i uh i had got to join the team um so i moved back to madison nice. into my old host family that wow <laughs> i originally was going to live with the year i got sick so that was all kind of like a weird situation but moved in there and i was there for quite some time was there were some issues uh, within the team that you don't really necessarily need to talk about. It had nothing to do with me, but there was a bunch <laughs> of stuff going on with the young kids doing some stuff, stupid stuff. But um, we were about to start the season in, I think it was Pittsburgh, because um, we were going to do like a like a showcase there, like a showcase for the NHL scouts, because USHL is like the top league in the in the US for guys right. to lead something one. So you get to play a showcase, which kind of kick, kicks off the the regular season because before that we have a bunch of games but they, they were those were all preseason games so i actually went back to minnesota to visit my girlfriend because we got some time off and um i had already been feeling 
kind of weird the, the whole month before that. It already kind of started when I got to the U.S. in August, which was like two months before that, uh, where I noticed because we had to do all kinds of blood checks and all kinds of stuff before you actually get clear to get on the ice and play in these leagues. And uh, normally all the players went through the checks within like five to ten minutes. I Mine took like two hours. Uh, yeah, because yeah, of yeah. past history. Of course, of course. Yes, yeah. So I was sitting there with a bunch of doctors playing the whole thing. And uh, there they already noticed that my platelets uh, were a little lower than they were supposed to be. I knew they were always lower than anyone else's because of my treatment, but they were quite low. But they still cleared me, so I wasn't really that worried. But then the month I was in Madison, which was like a month later, um, leading up towards that showcase, um, I still felt good energy-wise, but I started having like weird bruising and stuff again. So I was like, hmm. Uh-oh. This is kind of weird. Um, so then uh, um, it, it started having nosebleeds again. And then I really started feeling like, oh, God, what is, what is going on? And then the weekend I went to see my girlfriend, she uh, noticed that my uh, left testicle was like swollen like a balloon. Um, I really paid attention to that at all, <laughs> honestly, but um, that was the case. <laughs> So, yeah. It's funny so, that you uh, wouldn't notice, but she would. But again, no, I just I, I wasn't really paying attention to it. So, um, that was that was the case, and um, yeah, she was like, she already had told me that weeks before she probably call the hospital because I hadn't even been to a hospital since I left the Netherlands, right? In the beginning of August, but I was all cleared then. Like, it was nothing wrong with my blood. There was no like reason to even think that anything was going on. Everything looked perfect because I was checked by all hematologists here in the Netherlands. Um, and they all said, you're clear to go. You look perfectly healthy. Like there's nothing, nothing, nothing weird. So I was clear to go. Um, but yeah, she already told me like the month before, I was like, maybe you should go take a look. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I never actually did. But um, then I did call my hospital in Madison, which I hadn't, I hadn't talked to them in like two years. So I'd like find somebody that still knew who I was. Right. I and did, history. Luckily. Right. But I called Madison cause I didn't have an hospital in, uh, Minnesota cause I had never been treated there. So right. called them and they were like, Oh, I told them the symptoms and they like got quiet on the phone. They're like, well, that really <laughs> doesn't sound good. And I'm like, Oh, great. So right. I was like, well, I got stuff to do, but I can come in like a week, in like a week. And they were like, mm. uh, no. <laughs> no, right now. <laughs> no. So I'm like, well, I'm not in Madison. It's not going to work. So they're like, where are you? I'm like, in Minneapolis. So they uh, called some other hospital, and then I had to go into a children's hospital in, in Minneapolis. And that's where they, you know, well, some blood tests and some other scans and whatever. And it got pretty clear that night that things weren't looking good. And and the doctor came in again. He was like, it looks like your uh, leukemia has relapsed. As I kind of knew, but I wasn't ready to admit it yet. But um, yeah, that was, uh, that was the case. And apparently leukemia does tend to relapse a lot in the testicular area with, uh, with men. Um, wow. So that's so why they... So that's a good sign. Well, not necessarily. No, no, no. Well, that that, that is sign. a place where it apparently comes back a lot. Like leukemia cells are very smart, even though you give a lot of chemo and radiation, they can still transform and look like a healthy cell and like 
oh, I kind of like disguise themselves mm-hmm. and like start hiding somewhere in your body. And then someday, all of a sudden, they'll just go, oh, let me just turn them back into a leukemia cell. Right. They're very, very smart cells. And that's apparently what one cell has done. Um, in my case, it survived all the treatment and then just started hiding somewhere. And then out of blue became active again. And usually that happens in the testicular area. And I was told that in the U.S., after having a stem cell transplant, they do some extra radiation on the testicular area for men because they know this is a thing. But they don't do that here in Europe. So I would never say that's like I can blame our system here or like our treatment or doctors here. But it is not in our uh, protocols to do that. So... But I so, didn't tell them that here. <laughs> but I, I, okay. So if they do extra treatment on that area, does that mean kids are like completely out? What is oh, that? Oh, they mean? were already they, they were out from day one. That wow. was uh, that was that was out from day one. I think they came in. This is a funny story because I I was seventeen when I was diagnosed, almost eighteen. Right. But they immediately came in. They're like, "You're not going to keep uh, well your sperm cells, basically." So they came right. in with a Playboy magazine and like a little cup and they were like, all right, hurry up because we need to start treatment. So that was, that was, that was interesting. Uh, Here you go. Go to it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take care of it. And uh, so that, that was an interesting thing, but uh, yeah, basically now kids are completely off the line, which for a guy, you know, it's not the end of the world. Cause like my, my cells are saved in some sperm bank in, 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 in Madison. So if I ever want kids, I can still have them. Oh, I just yeah. So they're they're just safe there. I that's why I had to do the the Playboy thing, and that's right. why they're in Madison now. So <laughs> it's kind of it's, it's kind of like you know if ever you left your kids in comes Madison. Up, yeah, basically, if ever anyone comes up to me and they're like, "Hey, uh, I'm pregnant," I'm like, "Well, that definitely will not be. It's, not, it's simply not possible." So I don't I don't have, ever have to worry about that again. Uh, it's kind of the best in the world. Thing. Right, I know. Yeah, I mean, if you for, want them, I think you're right. I th- right, and I think yeah. for for women, obviously, it's a lot different. Like for women, it's a lot more, it's a lot tougher. Because for me, it's just like, oh, I just get some sperm and then like, my treatment. Yes, I can't have kids anymore. But if I ever really want to, I still have them. Yeah, in some in some safe and in the U.S. and they can even modify my cells so I can choose if it's a boy or a girl. So that's crazy. It's, and yeah, cool. it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool and. Uh, you know, for me, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'm young too. I'm, I'm not even thinking about stuff like right. that, but of it's course. good to know. But for like, I know a lot of girls or young women that, uh, that have had this disease and in order to like preserve anything of what a woman needs to, you know, create a baby or whatever, it takes like three or four weeks to like take out of their body. So they usually don't do that because if you have a disease like this, you need to start treatment right away. Right away. So options are most gone. women I most women I know they just they just don't have an option. I mean they just have to start a treatment and they will never be able to have kids in any way. Wow. Yeah. Lucky for so, you. Lucky. I know. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> Should I you choose that now. down the road? That is it's nice to have that option. It's nice to No, absolutely. It is definitely a a good option. Obviously I I, I do not know and they say that leukemia is not like uh a thing that comes from like birth or whatever, or like is in your genetics, but right. it's still kind of like, okay, I have looking at twice. Not sure if I want to use my sperm to create a kid, but right. I don't know. That's uh, I'm not even thinking about that at the moment. It's safe. 
in some uh, cell in the in the U.S. I'm paying a lot of money to like keep it <laughs> to keep it fresh. I guess yeah, <laughs> to keep it. So someone's got to watch the kids. Come on, Tom. I know, I know. I like I get calls from like the U.S. like every couple like months and like oh you still pay us this amount of money i'm like for what i'm like oh yeah this i'm like oh yeah right right Remember. right yeah <laughs> so and i thought about transferring them to the netherlands because here it's free because our, our healthcare system here we pay so many income taxes in this country right that everything school-wise uh healthcare-wise everything is basically free well not free but compared to us it's definitely free right um, so i thought of doing that but it's like I don't know, like twenty thousand or thirty thousand to transfer to like them get to transfer them to to Europe. So <laughs> I'm like, well, wow, I'm a, I'm I'm alright then. You have expensive kids, and they haven't even started. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> not, they're not cheap now too, but it's not thirty thousand yet. So I was like, well, yep. just keep them there. Yeah. 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 So, so <laughs> that, that was that uh, makes sense as to why they would. Um, kind of be more aggressive then with that area because there's nothing really at stake at that point no there's absolutely nothing at stake like if i already had a full body radiation before that twice so they were already radiated so like you can radiate a couple more times it doesn't really matter everything's already dead (laughs) anyway but like i i didn't know that was a thing that they obviously don't really know that here either um because i kind of had to tell them but and that scenario, which I'll explain even more later, is that they're just more advanced technologies in the U.S. and they're just further in the development of cancer treatment than they are here. Why? Because the U.S. has just they have a lot more money um, right. in that section because we do pay a lot of tax here. Like our, our income taxes are 52 percent, if you want to know. So if you if you want to become rich, don't come live here. Trust me, it's not um, much different in no. Canada. Lots here too. Yeah, it's terrible. But like in Canada, you guys still have houses are affordable and cars are affordable. Maybe if you go to Vancouver, it's terrible. But I mean, <laughs> compared to what we pay here, I think our car price is about two, three, maybe four times more than they are in the U.S. and Canada. Wow, like it's nuts. Yeah, but then that's because we have a lot of tax in every way, but. Then we do get like free healthcare. Like I got a medicine here now after my last treatment, which I'll talk about later. That's in the U.S. is about I think six hundred thousand a year. Wow. If you don't have good insurance, then you can't afford it. Right here, it's just taken care of. Anyone can get it. That is a good trade-off. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I I do prefer the U.S. because they're they're just more advanced in treatment and i'd rather pay for a treatment or get really good insurance and pay for that and get the right treatment than you know go through this system and you know maybe they will won't have the treatment that you need and obviously i'm not saying the u.s has all the stuff that right uh, to treat anything but they're definitely further than they are here we are following the u.s I guess that says something too about really kind of knowing what options are out there, doing a little research or having someone do the research so that you know where the best treatments are. There are um, really great um, resources though that you can utilize for stuff like that. Like Best Doctors is a really good program that um, allows you to submit things and then it will tell you what the best treatments are, where they are, who, which doctors are well known for that type of treatment. Um, so you can tap into resources like that. 
Right. And then I know if you really have something they can't do anything about in your specific country or whatever, you can always go to, uh, I think it's called like clinicaltrials.gov. It's like yeah. the U.S. government website for like clinical trials. So it's basically just a trial. So you don't know what's going to happen. It's more like an experiment. But, right. you know, people that had to go had that to way. go through that. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, after you know, I was diagnosed with leukemia for a second time now, um, which I obviously kind of already knew. Uh, luckily, I had already done my research last time when I got sick because when they right. told me the whole game plan with the chemo and everything, I was like, Jesus, like, there must be a different way. And I had already found the way back then, but I just wasn't eligible to do that treatment um, because back then it was a clinical trial. So you had to have, have like leukemia like four times already or something, oh something crazy. God. Yeah, something nuts in order to qualify for the program, which I obviously didn't at the time. Um, or will you did. ever? Yeah. Or will you no. ever? We're not no, putting exactly, that. No, 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 no. So, and I, and this time I still did not qualify for that, but I did um, do my research, and I had heard that it had been um, available now commercially. So that means you can just buy it, which sounds simple. You need a lot of money to do that, but I knew it was an option. So, um, and the treatment was called CAR T, and to explain, it's simple. So you need to have a specific type of acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Your, uh, the leukemia has to be in the B cells, not your, because you have B and T cells. Okay. Uh, it has to be in the B cells of your blood. Um, and then they also, what's another factor that needs to be seen if you do have that. Um, and luckily I, I did have that. Well, luckily, I'm not sure if that's luck, but sort of luck. Um, is that there needs to be some kind of... Um, Oh, yeah, kind of a protein has to be on the surface of the cell. It's called CD19. Well, I did have the CD19, and I also have B-cell leukemia, so I was eligible to do the treatment. So um, that meant now we had to like look at options, like where we're going to do it. Um, then there's like different versions of CAR-T, because CAR-T basically is they um, put you on a machine, they take your T cells out, they like filter them out of your blood. So your blood goes into some kind of machine that takes out the T cells of your own blood. Okay. Uh, your blood goes back into your body, well, the, the little blood they take, but um, then they send off the blood to a lab somewhere in the US and they um, add the car to the T. So the T in the car T thing stands for my T cells. Right. The car basically means that they modify the cells and kind of like easily said, train them to kill B cells. So they do that in like six weeks or so. Meanwhile, when you're waiting for your cells to come back, you are doing chemo and steroids and all the crap. Yeah. Um, and then they send the CAR T cells back and they simply put it in an IV and goes inside of you and then those CAR T cells are going to look for your B cells and they're going to kill them all, which huh. means you will not have leukemia anymore because you don't have any B cells left. Right, because it's just seek and destroy. Right. It's a lot more complicated than that, but that's basically, yeah, that's basically kind of what it is. So um, that's the treatment I had heard of and that's what they told me it was going to work like. Um, so then there were like, there's... There were different versions of CAR-T, and um, I basically had the option between two. Um, mm -hmm. One that was 
now sort of available in the Netherlands, uh, but it was basically more for lymphoma patients. It's called Kite. And then there's one made by Novartis and it's called Kimraya, which was specifically made for leukemia, which was not available in Europe, um, or at least not in the Netherlands. And uh, they explained to me that the CAR T cells go into your body and then they start killing the B cells. But with Kite, the CAR T cells will leave your body after three months. They will just disappear. That's great. How it exactly, exactly works, I have no clue. But what that means is that your B cells will start coming back again, which means you could get leukemia again or the B cell leukemia again because you will start producing B cells again because B cells are important for your immune system. Oh. The other one, the other one that's more aggressive, Kimraya one, will have CAR T cells in your body for the rest of your life. So anytime a B cell pops up, it will kill the B cell, whether it's now or in five years. But they also kill all, they kill all the B cells, so good ones and bad ones. So you are sacrificing your B cells in a part of your immune system, but you are pretty sure there's obviously waste leukemia could still come back, but um, you are pretty sure you couldn't get the exact same form of leukemia again. Um, so I chose to do that one, which meant I did sacrifice a part of my immune system because uh, I don't have any B cells anymore right now. So I have that medicine I was just talking about that was so expensive in the US. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to take that now once a week. It's more like a, it's more like a shot type of thing. It's like, um, like diabetic persons have. They have to do like three times a day, but I only yeah, have to do it once a week. Insulin. Okay. Yeah. So I, have, I only have to do it once a week. So it's a lot less complicated. So I have to do that. So I kind of have like an artificial immune system basically that's, so that's incredible basically, yeah and obviously they don't know and it also keeps the car t cells like active um and obviously they don't know exactly if i have to do it for the rest of my life for now yes they say so but the car t treatment i think only came commercially available about a couple of weeks before i got um, diagnosed so basically if i had been in um in the Netherlands, they probably would have put me through the same treatment as last time, which obviously didn't work, or they would have tried the Kite CAR-T, and I haven't tried it, so I don't know if it would have worked, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought so, because I had such an aggressive form, I really wanted to do this one, so I chose to do that one, which meant I couldn't go back to Europe, because it doesn't exist there. Right. So, then obviously we had a bunch of uh, insurance stuff. Luckily, I was insured really well, my travel insurance so right um eventually they were uh going to be paying for the big treatment which uh <clears throat> wasn't very cheap i can uh, i can assure you that um but they uh, did um decide to pay for the whole thing so um we're grateful for that um did the treatment there um obviously i had to do six weeks of chemo and like steroids before that yeah, and I did that through the hospital that I was diagnosed in, so the um, children's hospital, and then the cartesian was going to go through the U University of Minnesota um, hospital. Um, but I did tell them like, "Hey, I want to see if I can, you know, keep working out, eating well, and you know, try to stay in shape during this whole thing." Yeah. So they actually made a protocol for me for chemo's and steroids. 
but not like a lot, but like chemos and steroids that like, if you took them at the same time, they would like um, empower each other. So they would even become more powerful because they like, I don't know, they like kind of like adapt to each other, I think in a way. So no did exactly you that works. worked out through this whole thing? Oh yeah, every day. Because <laughs> yeah. hey, I didn't do it, don't I didn't mind do me. that last time. <laughs> so that's why I asked him like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm fine with doing this whole steroid chemo thing. But the only thing that we had to accomplish was get me underneath 50% leukemia cells. And I was at 88, so that was, that was quite a lot. Only right. like 12% of my bone marrow was still working. Last time was kind of the same. I think it was a little bit above 90, but basically the same. And last time, I did the standard protocol, which the first month is just, oh, it's horrible. It's like three chemos a day. It's all kinds of... There's no working out terrible. It's just terrible, yeah. You're just in the hospital all the time. And feeling Sometimes like that. Isolation. Oh, yeah, it's just terrible. And lots of steroids and everything. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not really willing to do that again. Sort of like, okay. So this is a guy called Bruce Boss at Bustrum. He's like one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He... uh He's the guy who runs the show there at the um, Children's of Children's. Minnesota. So, yeah. So, he, uh, he actually wrote a protocol with, uh, with the nurse practitioner, Mindy. Nice. Um, that was just specifically, basically, for me. And it was chemo pills every day. But those were pills. So, I could just take them at home. Yeah. And then I only had to come into the hospital twice a week. Not stay there. Just come in. Yep. Uh, get a chemo, and IV chemo. And an IV um, steroids, and then had on Friday I had some extra chemo pills, but that was basically it, which is still still chemo and stuff and steroids. But and they can kind of check you out twice a week and make sure that everything's right. working the way it's supposed to, right? Because right. you're in, so I did, right? Right. So I did that. Kept on eating well, um, and I honestly the first time I had that treatment, I was just puking like every single day. It was just terrible. This time. I didn't puke a single time. Like, just not, wow. I didn't even feel sick one, like one day. Just one time during my workout, I had to puke. But that was because I was working out too hard, not because of the chemo pills or whatever. So That's incredible. That's a, yeah, that's a good sign. So I think they actually are trying to make that a thing now there. Just to go, I'm not sure if it's going to be like an option or they're going to put it in a protocol or whatever. Because it works so well for me. Because in right. the end, it was about you know how well I responded which for every person will be different, but how well I responded to the, to this treatment thing. Um, and I actually went down from 88% leukemia cells to zero. Oh my God. Yeah, That's to, amazing. To nothing. You and last time the guinea pig too, right? So when right, he yeah. protocol, he was like, this is great. You want to be right. my subject test. Yeah, and I, I get didn't to find out how this works. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, it worked even better than last time because last time I was down to, I was in remission, so like underneath 5%, but it was still sort of there. Here, they just couldn't detect anything anymore, uh, which doesn't mean it's not there anymore. Right. Believe me. Um, so I still have to do the CAR T. So I still have to do, because it's in the CAR T protocol, a week of chemos before the CAR T, which is kind of like the conditioning phase. And then I did the CAR T, and then the CAR T is going to be another interesting story. Um, I'm the sixth patient to do it in Minnesota at the U of M. Because uh, it's still very new. Um, but I am the first one to do it outpatient. So I was not in the hospital. So for the CAR-T, I did have to come in, uh, I think it was December 10th, uh, to get my CAR-T cells, which are just a very small little bag. And there's like 15 like nurses and doctors in your room looking at you. Um, 
and little cell or the little car t cells go in and then you kind of have to sit there around there for like six hours and wait until there's no like reaction or whatever and then you get to i got to go home um and why uh is this is car t pretty dangerous in or it could be dangerous because i told you about the protein that's like on the outer layer of those leukemia cells called cd19 right um uh, you could get the, the protein is called cytokine. And if you, if the leukemia cells get killed in your body, the cytokine gets released in your body, which means, um, you could get something called cytokine release syndrome, which like only occurs. It's very complicated. I am not a doctor. I can explain right. it to you. I just know that it can go from just having a fever to literally not being able to breathe anymore. Yeah. So it's it can go, there's so many side effects, like there's a washing list of them. If you wanna go look it up, just look up CRS, cytokine release syndrome. Uh, but that's what you can get if there's too much cytokine in your body. Now for me, obviously they, they didn't know, cause I was the first patient also to go in there with no leukemia cells visible. Didn't mean they weren't there. But theoretically, if you think about it, if you can't see any leukemia cells they probably were a couple there and they were killed by the car t but i don't think that was enough cytokine for me to have a reaction so i was also the first side or the first car t patient to not have a reaction at all that's incredible like, like zero so normally you have to be in an isolation cell for 30 days um and then you get to leave and most patients have a reaction between like 48 to 72 hours i think mm-hmm I just got to go home every day. I didn't, I couldn't leave the house. Like I was locked to my own house. I had to like check my temperature like every five minutes, basically. That's what it felt like. Um, Cause it always starts with a fever. Um, I had to come into the hospital every single day. But I think after 11 or 12 days, the, our, the main doctor um, who made this whole treatment basically possible called Dr. Stavansky. She, I uh, think she let me go home after like, or she let me, start working out again after like 11 or 12 days. So I, had, I got to go to the gym, which is, uh, which is pretty amazing. So, and <laughs> I think I started doing... Because you realize, Tom, started. that's what every single cancer patient wants to do. They want to go to the gym. <laughs> yes, they should. They should be going there. <laughs> but, uh, and I even started like ho- playing hockey again and stuff. Dur- like during the 30 days, had the car whatever dangerous yep. time zone. Yeah. So I wow. started doing all that. I just couldn't drive my car, which was really frustrating because I had just had got a new car. So that was really, really frustrating, but I couldn't drive for like 60 days. And there was no way of changing that up because apparently you can also get like neuro problems with the CAR T cells and that, that they can like happen in like this for 60 days of the CAR T. So that was shitty. I couldn't drive my car, but other than that, um, yeah, I was, I went through it actually really, really well. Um, I think I was, well, I cleared. No, I can't really say cleared. Um, they told me again in January after the CAR T, there was no leukemia cells there. So it basically meant it worked because they could also see that my B cells were gone. So that was a good thing because we knew, I mean, my leukemia wasn't visible anymore, but we had to see if there were no B cells and couldn't spot those anymore. So that was great. Everything went well. My parents were there during December. My mom was there even a little before and a little afterwards. Um, so was my girlfriend and my sister. Um, but then, obviously, it's such an 
idiotic, dramatic, like crazy expensive treatment that my insurance in the Netherlands, because it was being paid by, you know, the Dutch right. um, wing of this insurance company. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, uh, they were obviously very happy that I was doing well, but they obviously wanted me back home because <laughs> there they knew that they could just, you know, put it on our, you know, basic insurance that like everybody has here. So they don't have to pay for it anymore because it was just a travel insurance. Right. So um, they were doing everything they could to you know, like get me, get me out of there, which I completely understand. But here they don't know uh, since beginning of February, February 11th, I think I got here. So, uh, but obviously they don't know what a cytokine release syndrome is or like how this all like works and that I have a different type of CAR T and like, it would just yeah. been a disaster. Like Being if I'd there. gone back here, if I'd gone back here and something would have happened to me because they want to be back here early. I mean, that would have been a big disaster. So Svansky made sure that they couldn't leave or they couldn't take me home here for the, for the, you know, first 60 days after the CAR T treatment. So Good. Stayed there until day 60, which was like February 8th. I think I flew out February 10th. Um, yeah, basically uh, moved back to the Netherlands for now. And the week before I had to go back, um, my immune system just stopped. Like it just wouldn't, it just, I just had no immune system anymore. I flew. So, which is a normal reaction after, uh, after CAR T. Yeah. Um, so I got like influenza A, B, whatever it's all called. And so I was in the hospital with the flu, but a really bad one for, uh, I think like five or six days. So that was literally the only time I was actually admitted into the hospital for flu, <laughs> for not flu. for leukemia. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, so, damn flu. Right. Yeah. So that was, that's an interesting fact too, that I was not even admitted for leukemia, but admitted for the flu. Um, so yeah, I survived the flu and then uh, flew home. And then, you know, the first three or four weeks I was here, it was just a shit show. Like my immune system was still just was not cooperating in any way. Like it just wasn't working. So I think I got the flu again and like, or a different time for, uh, and like, well, um, just all kinds of infections. So I don't even know what's all in my head, but just right. way too many to even list because if somebody would literally sneeze on me i would just have the next infection it was just of course it was horrendous immune system i had none so i was on so many antibiotics like i couldn't even count them um but then i got to start with that immune stuff yep and then my white cells went up my immune system got back up and i think now we're all good that's amazing yeah so you literally are kind of setting the stage for a new protocol within leukemia treatments, which is super cool. Well, really? the, basically, the 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 you know the the first month of treatment, they did write a new protocol for me, and I I remember you know them saying you know, we're kind of trying to like make this a thing here because it's yeah a lot more doable for patients, Effective. especially yeah. And yeah. well, it's effective for me. So everybody it, obviously responds completely different to yeah. chemo and steroids. But for me, it worked really well. Yes. Do you think that's like for once you're at a certain health level, that would be the most appropriate protocol in comparison to someone who maybe isn't? Um, I'm thinking. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's definitely a lot more doable in the way that like, it's just a lot less shit in your body, basically. Like it's just chemo is just 
toxins. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, poison. <laughs> yeah, it's just poison. Like it's not there it's to, like, it's, there, it's, there to, it's there to kill everything, including you, but you hope it's going <laughs> to kill the, the, the cancer first. So, right. you know, it's, if you can get less stuff of that, then that's always good. So yes, obviously it's a lot more, you know, doable. And I think it would be good for, uh, it would be good to at least get people as an option. Like obviously I've, I'm the only one that tried that protocol. So it's not like a proven thing yet. Like right. there's, there's one guy that did it and yes, that worked for him, but everybody responds completely different to medicine. Uh, well not medicine to the poison they give you. So, I mean, there's, there's people that don't respond to steroids at all. I tend to respond to steroids very, very well. Like I just immediately, my cancer cells just die right like, right away. And, but I do, I've, I've seen people that just get steroids and steroids and steroids and just, just nothing. nothing. So, Hey, so it's, uh, I, I have like, I can't help but ask. So you get diagnosed the second time and you kind of know that this is coming. Where's your mindset at with that? Cause I know when we talked in the first, in the first interview, um, you, <laughs> you have this rock solid core belief that you can do anything <laughs> and nothing's oh, going to stop you. I, so I was ready. I was ready for war already. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I, I knew it was coming. So I already, I already prepared mentally for it. I just knew it was coming. I don't think anyone else besides me was, you know, uh, ready for it in any way. So just like last time people around me like collapsed and like got really like anxious or whatever. And I was the one with the disease, but I was the one staying calm. So that was, that was interesting again. <laughs> right. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was kind of the same thing as the first time. Obviously the first time I didn't even know what leukemia was, but, um, this time I was prepared and I already had done my research. I knew exactly what I was going to say. So I wasn't even like when he told me, I was kind of, I almost said, yeah, I know. And then I was like, um, uh, so what's the next step? Like I just told him right away, like, Hey, I'm not going to do that same treatment as this last time. There's just no way. Like just, I'm just not going to do right. it. Cause it hasn't worked. I would almost rather be like, then, okay. I, cause I like my girlfriend was sitting next to me. She obviously, know fell into tears Absolutely. but i like i like to look up uh, all my options so i even asked him the question okay if i don't do anything how long do i have so that wasn't really <laughs> a good question to ask when she was I'm there sure but that was an excellent question with her in the room yeah so what right but, <laughs> I, but I, I i asked all the questions because i was like right. if the only thing i can do is like the same treatment again i mean god if i still have like half a year maybe i'll just go to some nice island and you know drink coconut water or whatever i don't know uh, I don't know. I was just thinking of all my options, but then I obviously brought up the CAR T thing. I'm like, I'm doing that and nothing else. Okay, so I didn't know if I was eligible for it, but I just told them that. Just the whole concept around knowing all your options, because I mean, we get really afraid to know the answers to things, but isn't it worse to not know the answers to things? Oh, I hate not knowing stuff. Like I just, I just, it's terrible. I, I always <laughs> figure out stuff. I always go. Well, That's, I'm, we come I, at I just want to know. problems much more armed with better solutions when we have all of the information instead of part of it and we build a, an assessment off that. I think that's really brave. I, I, I think you're really brave to begin with, but I think that's really brave of you to ask those questions that no one wants to ask. Like, if I did nothing, what is then what? And how long do I have? Because that's, huh. that's a tough question to ask. Really? Right. Yeah. And that's a tough answer to hear too. But I mean, yep. it's, it's, you, you either become realistic or you start playing the victim and you let other people handle your mm. business. And 
I will never do that. It's my, I'm sick. It is my problem. So I will take care of it. So well, I'll take care of it using your tools. <laughs> right. You're going to yeah, give yeah, me exactly. all the information so I can base my decision from that. Right. In the end, it's my body. I get to, I get to choose what's going to happen. No one else. Choose. Right. You always have choice. So, <laughs> right. Right. I mean, my opinion is if you aren't going to make the choice, then someone else will. And obviously, this is a little, maybe a little pessimistic or whatever, but I think if someone else is going to make the choice for you, they are never going to do it with your best interest. And I think that applies to many things in life. I think that so applies I always, to all things in life. Yeah, it's all things. So I, I just say, if you have a decision, I always tell people that. Whether it's the smallest decision, whether your mom asks you, what, do you want spaghetti or pizza tonight? I'm, I'm kids say, I don't know. I'm like, do you want broccoli and burgers or do you right. want, do you want pizza? Right. No, it's just, that's like small things like that, that I'm already, I'm already really like make the choice. Like if someone else is going to make the choice for you, it's not going to be in your best interest. It really isn't. No matter what it's your mom, whoever it is in the end, in the end, I think people do have, you know, are a little self-centered. So in the end, yes, people are going to make a decision that's going to be best for themselves. So like if I had, yeah, if I had people or if I had the doctors, let them choose what was the best decision for me. Uh, like, cause I got called by many, many, many Netherlands, like healthcare centers that wanted to, they were basically like speeching why I should come to their hospital right? to basically be their, you know, test protocol. Right. So if I listened to them, I would have ended up there and I maybe would have been dead by now. Maybe I would not have been dead, but I don't know. Don't know. They, cer- they certainly would have chosen the way that would have been best for them, not for me. And off a system that maybe didn't have all the information. Right. Yeah, so certainly I rather, you found. I rather gather all my information. I'll talk to people that I need to talk to. And then I'm smart enough to make up my mind and make a decision that I think is going to be best for me. I'm always really open-minded. Like I'll listen to anyone that has to pitch anything to me, but I, in the end, I'll look at every, all the options I have and then make my own decision. It's wise. Yeah. I do it with everything, basically. Not just, uh, that's just a really important thing, but I do it with everything. I'm serious. I even do it when it's about, you know, are we eating spaghetti or pizza? Like I'll, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't eat, I don't eat mo- neither mostly, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, you probably don't eat those. I don't eat those. No, 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 right. (laughs) Occasionally, occasionally I'll eat pizza. No, okay, so yeah, definitely. You you got to enjoy your life sometimes, but... That's right. uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. If you maintain a healthy lifestyle, sometimes you can just have a pizza or whatever, and it doesn't even matter. And it doesn't matter because one meal out of how many in a month means very little. No, I think you can have one, two, maybe even three cheese meals a week. That's, That's what I think. Uh, it works for me, but my metabolism. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I don't really look at food that way anymore at all. I just look at it as I eat healthy pretty well all the time. So when I do decide to eat something that's not, I'm okay with it because it's once in a blue moon and oh well. So I'm going to eat a croissant or I'm going to eat, I don't know, whatever I feel like eating in that moment because it looks delicious. Right. <laughs> right. But it is something right, so so important when it comes down to and anyone basically, because anyone, everyone's really, you know, busy today with like, how do they look and like, you know, nutrition and what do I eat? How do I eat healthy? And it's, it's a really difficult thing for a lot of people, but especially when you have cancer or like a disease like that, yeah, 
you got to know what you're eating. Like, God, yeah. it's like it's your body that you're feeding, and it's fighting off poison from chemo, and it's fighting off a disease like cancer. So, so would you want to add more poison, or do you want to add things that are going to enrich and help it and knock right. it out? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, that's, that's basically, yeah. It's funny. My son, um, my oldest, when he was just under a year, we, we got the allergy um, diagnosis. He was severely allergic to eggs and anaphylactic. And so we walked around with an EpiPen. But the interesting thing was I knew nothing about labels until then. Really nothing until I got the list of 20 different names for eggs. And from that day forward, I stopped processed foods and I made everything. And people think it's so hard to cook for yourself or it's so hard to do this meal prep or, but it's really not. I can cook meals in less than half an hour that are completely healthy. And that's no more time than it takes to pull something out of a package and still make a meal. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. A, I would say I do a balanced version of that. Like, I don't like go to a grocery store and like get uh you know uh, all everything that's like pre-made or whatever. I do believe a lot in like um, you know healthy shakes and stuff like yeah. that. I think that's really convenient, especially for cancer patients. But anyone, basically, I start my day every single day with a shake that contains you know a lot of protein, uh, all the fibers you need, uh, twenty-two vitamins and minerals. So like yeah. I basically get all the nutrition in I need. I basically do like one or two a day of those. And then next to that, I'll have maybe in lunch or I'll just replace my lunch with another shake or bar or whatever. And then at night, I'll just eat whatever I feel like. Yeah. Basically. But I can, yeah, then I just cook up whatever I want. Or if I have a workout, I'll make like an omelet or, you know, s- stuff like that. But I, I do a good combination of, uh, of, you know, both some convenient stuff that I know will give me all the night the right nutrients. Yeah. Um, then I will feel fancy. I'll, make some stuff. (laughs) It's the building blocks, just making sure that you have the building blocks. That's all. Right. I do it through food, typically like whole foods as much as I can. However, I supplement with greens and supplement with a few things. Like there's definitely things that I take every day, like religion. And one of them is a probiotic because that's your immune system, right? Speaking of which, you said you were on antibiotics and everything forever. Do you take probiotics? Uh, Yes, I actually do. Good. Yeah, because... That's your immune system. Is your right, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I kind of miss a part of my immune system, so that's yeah. It's, I'm not sure how much it actually does still, but <laughs> it should still work. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. Is there anything that you can tell our audience about um, the biggest challenges that you faced mentally? I'm just thinking like you come at things from such an incredible mindset perspective of nothing is going to stop me. I am, I'm in control of this and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I'm okay. Um, I love that. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Um, good question. Well, I think like I said, basically last time that when you get diagnosed with something like that, or basically any challenge you have in life, but especially challenges like these, you are, you know, not in control of what's going to happen with the disease. You are in control of making decisions that are best for you and the best of your interest. Um, but in the end, it all comes down to how strong you are mentally. Like, I think that's just the biggest thing you can do. If you have a strong, uh, you know, if you're strong mentally, you can basically, you know, fight through 
through anything, in my opinion. I think it's not, definitely not going to cure cancer or or whatever. But if you can stay strong mentally and you know you know tell yourself you know, you got to make this through and uh, stuff like that, that already doesn't just help you as a person, but also helps your environment around you. Seeing that you know, because a lot of people around you are going to get you know upset what's going on. Your girlfriends, family, um, you know, moms, whatever. I mean. You're all going through a tough phase too. Your dad too. But yeah, dad, dad as well. But he was just working a lot, so I'm, I'm sure he uh, he usually does go through a tough phase. But usually, mostly afterwards, like everything is done, then he just all comes out. But you know, it's it's good for them too to see you, you know, mentally strong and determined and and stuff like that. And I think that also comes a lot because I was, you know, a, you know, an athlete and stuff like that. So. This case is basically where the mentality comes from a little bit. And I just looked at it as um, well, as, as a sport, basically. I was just playing <laughs> top-level hockey, and I went through, you know, beating top-level cancer, basically. It's kind of – it's kind of I went through it into it with, like, kind of the same mentality. And, you know, I you – love that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's going to take us like another uh, team. We're going right. to take you down. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, like I said, you can go sit there and feel sorry for yourself, which is, I think, understandable in a way. But, but at um, some point, you have to recognize that this is your life and how you right. respond to right. a life event. Right. And, but there's a lot of people like sitting there being like, oh, why me? Like, there's a lot of people asking right. themselves, oh, why me? Oh, that question. Like, oh. Well, you can go sit there and slowly die asking yourself the question, why me? Or you can actually do, go do positive things, you know, surround yourself with good people and not people you don't want to have in your life because you don't need those. You know, try to move as much as you can, eat the right things, make the right choices, you know, think about what you're doing with your body, um, with your, you know, healthcare professional and whatever. And then we'll see what happens because you can't, you, you, you cannot control the treatment, obviously, once you've chosen the treatment. I mean, that's just going to work or it's not going to work, but um, it's going to make everything a lot more durable and a lot better if you're there mentally, especially like I know people that have, you know, survived a disease like that, but have always gone through it. Like, Oh, why me? And, um, you know, feeling sorry for themselves. And, you know, it's been years, like they, they've been sick and they're still like sitting at home asking themselves, Oh, why me? Because they're you know? stuck in their, in their little in their little mindset yeah yeah Yeah, well in their in their experience right they're stuck in the experience right and they they get stuck in there and they make it like their life story like for me it's just something that yeah it's just an event that has happened it was pretty intense but i'm not known for oh tom he had cancer you know (laughs) that's not that's not that's not like that's what a lot of people like. Uh, you know, always think when somebody has cancer and they stay in their house, you don't see. I'm a cancer survivor. You are a cancer right. survivor, but you're so much uh, more than that. Yeah, I'm two time actually. <laughs> and you're like, you know, but that's not really who I am. I am this. I am that. I am strong. I am a hockey player. <laughs> I'm. I'm right. determined. For me, I am. For me, for me, it's just a part of my journey. It's just, it's just, uh, just came on the road and I get cleared a path. Mm-hmm. That was it. I don't get like stuck into it. And like sometimes people like, like I, I know they want to ask me questions about it, but they just don't want to because they feel like I'm so going to be emotional about it. Right. Which I'm not. I just, I literally, I'll tell anyone this story if they want to know. Like I'm, 
very open about it. Um, so what? That's, that's kind of a key to is the emotional attachment to a life event um, that makes it really healthy or not. So you were saying some people are really stuck in it and they're still talking about why me, why me? And because they're stuck in their life event, uh, because they're emotionally attached to it and emotions are just a, uh, they're a tell from the past, right? They're a, something that we've experienced in the past that keeps being drawn up. So to be able to detach from the life event, be able to detach the emotion is key to us living very healthy. Right. No, I agree. Amazing. That's amazing. So Tom, what are you going to do now? What's, what's, on, uh, the, what's on the so, horizon for Tom? So um, I was originally going to, you know, go and stay in the U.S., play college hockey or hockey for university. That was the game plan. I was actually already talking to some schools. But now I am in quite some trouble because I did such a big insurance claim that obviously insurance is not going to be like, oh, yeah, just go back to the U.S. and we'll pay $60,000 a year for your medicine. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, not, that's just not going to fly, uh, not right at this moment. So I'm basically going to do the same thing, but then here. So I'm going to go to school here starting august or september so i'm gonna do something called international bachelor for um communications media and business so nice it's basically the kind of because i'm already running a business in the health and wellness industry so it's kind of like kind right. of the same but then in the study so it's going to be very good for me to like do that too the next to that i'll play professional hockey here in uh, in the netherlands belgium maybe even germany depends on what where i want to go exactly uh -huh. But for right now, I just want to play a season without being diagnosed with any crazy disease. So, yeah. <laughs> I just want so, to play a season without being sick. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's kind of, kind of the point I'm at right now. And then obviously next to that, uh, you know, run my health and wellness business, help people, you know, achieve their, uh, their, their lifestyle and like body goals, like whatever it's losing weight or, you know, gaining muscle or recovering from being really sick, whatever it is. So I'll, yeah. I'll keep myself busy and um, I'm sure I'll, get to visit the u.s still here and there and i do plan on moving back because i feel really at home in the u.s at some point but i just have to do like i think like about three years of school and i think then i should be able to get back to the u.s when i expanded also you know my business so i can actually you know afford to move back myself yeah uh, play some pro hockey and then hopefully um trump will i don't know i don't think trump will be there still then but i i don't know <laughs> but Hopefully, whoever's That's a whole then, other podcast. Yeah, whoever is on is the president. Then will let me into the country. <laughs> and uh, well, it's not the problem that I can't get into the country. But if I want to live in the U.S. again, I have to become like an American, or I have to get a green card, which is basically being an American without the passport, right? Because um, you can pay tax there and everything. And then I can insure myself as an American, um, which means I can still get the medicine for not 600,000 a year. I still have to pay a lot of insurance, but that's something that's doable. Nice. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's basically the game plan. That is a good game plan, Tom. Yeah. That's yeah. a good game plan. <laughs> I will be following you. <laughs> <laughs> I follow you still on Instagram and I will follow you for years to come. I'm positive of that. So good. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of things that will happen. <laughs> I'm sure there are. And I look forward to hearing them all. Um, Tom, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and really being such an inspiration to so many people in your journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me share my story once again. <laughs> it's a joy. Honestly, it's a joy to have right. you. Well, I hope you enjoyed your time with Tom as much as I did because he's just pretty amazing and I love talking to him. It's hard to stop that. <laughs> Anyways, next week, it's all about you and me and we're going to get down to business and talk about fear goggles. Yes, the perspectives and perceptions, the lenses that we see the world through. So stay tuned because it's a gooder. If you are loving Fear It Goes, and I, I know you are, and you know how much I love five stars, so please leave those five stars. And if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, please go to fearitgoes.com and leave a message at the bottom of the podcast section. Besides, I know you want to check out what we're up to, so it's okay to peep on us. Until next week, my beautiful souls, thank you so much for listening and have an absolutely extraordinary week. <laughs>